Welcome to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. Today's guest is Jorge. Uh, Jorge is a very big Souls fan who speaks very, very passionately and eloquently about the games. He's also a games writer, so that probably explains the eloquence. Me and him have just a delightful conversation and talk about almost everything in the world you could think about with Dark Souls, and it's a great time. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy the episode. If you'd like to be on the podcast, go to www.don'tgiveupskeleton.com and find all of our social media links with how to get in touch with me and figure out how to do that. Thanks. Enjoy the episode. Where did where did where did you start out with? Where did, what was your first Dark Souls game? Sure. So my very first Dark Souls game was Dark Souls One, um, but I bounced off of it pretty hard. This was in I guess 2012, and like some you know game journal friends of mine uh, were writing a lot about it, and I was like, oh, I gotta check this out. Every, everyone says it's great, uh, and I played it, and I got. I mean, I didn't finish it. I got maybe, you know to the part where I accidentally ventured towards the skeletons, like so many people do. And was mm-hmm. like, this is not, this is ridiculous. This isn't for me. Um, and I ended up comparing it to like cutting your own arm off in a good sort of way. I like to think that like, I didn't completely bounce off. Like maybe it just wasn't the right time for me in my personal life. Um, and then I tried again with Dark Souls 2, bounced off of that again, really hard. And then my very first actual completion was for Bloodborne. Okay, cool. So yeah. Have you, uh, I mean, just from a top top line perspective, have you gone back and now finished the games now that you finished I, Bloodborne? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, so I <laughs> finished Bloodborne. Come on, yeah. Um, I finished Bloodborne, and it was one of my favorite games of that year, and it was like I kept talking about it to people and was like, guys, this game is awesome. Uh, it's really, really great, and that was sort of it. And then Dark Souls 3 was coming out, and I was like, oh, that's the series that I bounced off on. But maybe, you know, maybe if Bloodborne clicked, this is my way of testing myself to see, like, just playing Dark Souls 3 proved to me that this wasn't just some fluke, right? It's not just Bloodborne. There's, like, something something to this, like, mechanic or world or the way that FromSoft uh, approaches their game design. Mm-hmm. So I played Dark Souls 3 first, finished that, and then that's all of 2016. And then I went back and played Dark Souls 1 all the Dark Souls 1 DLC and then Dark Souls 2 and all the Dark Souls 2 DLC. And then I went back and refinished <laughs> Bloodborne, all the Bloodborne DLC. And now I'm two challenge runs into Dark Souls 3. Well, about wow. midway between those two challenge runs. And this is so, all since you finished Bloodborne, which would, came out in 2014 This is This is all in, in March. Yeah, since yeah. March. Wow. Yeah. That is, so a lot of, <laughs> that's a lot of Souls a, content in a very small amount of time. It's been a whirlwind year, you know, for Dark Souls <laughs> for me. But, uh, you know, I, it stuck really hard and I've become like, I feel like I'm like a religious fanatic. You know, like I want to shake people and tell them like, no, you, this, you have to listen. This game is amazing. You know, and then go, oh, yeah. and you tell people that, right? You, I've talked to a ton of people and they ask, oh, what are your favorite games this year? And I go, oh, Dark Souls, really, really great. Uh, and they go, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I hear good things. Maybe I'll pick it up sometime. And I want to be like, no, look at me. Look in my <laughs> eyes. Okay. This isn't just, this isn't like, oh, this isn't Mass Effect. You know what I mean? Like, it's not one of those things. Like, you need to stop and think for a second this game will make you a better person, you know? Like, this is for everybody. Go home and play this, so. There's a uh, there's a movie that John Travolta starred in that's, uh, that's like, one of my favorite, like, weird movies. And throughout the mm-hmm. whole movie, um, 
he's kind of playing this mafioso who's trying to get into like the Hollywood thing and producing movies. And uh, like all of these Hollywood types are like talking over him all the time. And he just stops and it's like, Hey, Hey, look at me, look at me. And that's exactly what it yeah, reminds exactly. me of. Yeah. Like just everybody stops. I'm not and, messing like, with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I'm talking, I'm for real talking. I'm not just bullshit right. talking to you right like, now. <laughs> you, you think, you think you understand me, but you're just hearing words. Like you need to stop <laughs> and think for a second. This is everything. <laughs> Well, what was it um, about Bloodborne? Like, was it the aesthetic or like just the the gameplay that that pulled you through that that game more than more so than uh, when you bounced off of one and two? Yeah, it's a good question because I've I've you know since playing Dark Souls one and two now, I've tried to figure out what it is about Bloodborne that's different. I think for sure, the thing that kept me through my greatest moments of frustration with that game was the mystery to it. Right, like Bloodborne is just drenched in weird, creepy uh bizarre settings and and mysteries right like there's there's something deeply alluring to me about that that world that's mm-hmm. different from the rest of the dark souls because traditional dark souls is set in sort of this medieval world and bloodborne is this weird creepy victorian setting so that for sure kept me through the frustrations but um you know i think really what stuck with that game was the cycle of the cycle of learning and getting better and and proving myself in a way that felt I don't know, easier to fall into than when I first tried playing both Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 2. What was your, like, you mentioned that some of your frustrations, what were your, uh, like, some of your bigger frustrations when you started playing Bloodborne? Oh, man, like, Bloodborne, for sure, the the biggest wealth for me was Father Gaskion in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not, I didn't realize he was technically the second boss because you could skip the first one. Uh, and so I was facing off against Father Gaskion pretty early, and I just was not getting it. I mean, I must have died like 20 times at least, and I was really close to stopping. I mean, there was definitely a moment where I was like, this is insane. He turns into a fucking werewolf halfway through and does not <laughs> – like, he doesn't stop attacking you. Like, it doesn't like, – <laughs> how is that no fair? <laughs> There's no openings. And, like, I thought, the you know, some of the other werewolves in the game were bad. Like, this guy's a total ass, right? <laughs> Um, so going into the Father Gaskion fight was a huge hurdle for me. And what really broke was I, I talked to some friends about it who were also playing Bloodborne at the time. And they were like, well, you know, Father Gaskion's really just a, he's just a parry check. Like all he's, he's only rushing at you because he wants to make sure that you can interrupt his attacks with your, with your gun or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, and then do a visceral attack on him. And that sort of changed my perspective of it. And then someone also said, um, Someone mentioned the music box because I had no idea about the music box. Because who with. would think about the music? Who finds out yeah, about the music dude. box on their I never, first playthrough? I didn't even know that kid was there. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know you could, like, talk to people. I, I know nothing, right? And, you know, so many people that I was talking to, they had played Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 2. So they were going into this with a certain expectation about, you know, how how From communicates the game message to you as you're playing along, right? So I was going in completely blind. Uh, so they mentioned the music box. Um, and they mis- they mentioned something like, you know, if if it feels like the game's unfair, then you need to just be unfair to it, you know. And like those two those two ideas, like one, okay, this is just a parry check. Like the game doesn't hate me, right? Bloodborne isn't trying to make me to stop playing. It just wants to make sure that I'm armed with everything that I need to continue through the game and not be frustrated every five steps, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you know, with that mindset in mind, I went back and died 20 more times. But that 21st time, right, <laughs> when I'm actually getting off some of the parries, and I think the first time I killed Father Gaskion, I was, like, cheesing him. He, could, he does, like, big, 
you know, sweeping attacks. And you could sort of cheese him off some of the gravestones and a huge, like, fountain in mm-hmm. the sort of battle arena. So I had sort of cheesed him in that area, so he was, like, attacking nothing, and I was able to sort of circle around and kill him. Um, and even though I did that, it didn't feel cheap to me, right? It felt really earned. And so that was sort of the way that I got over that barrier. And from there, it was just everything opened up. I was like, okay, I get it. Like, it's all just about learning and falling into this rhythm and experiencing the game and, you know, these certain phases and being okay with dying and stuff. Were you kind of aware that, like, the way that these games tell story and kind of present story to you buried in item descriptions? And Bloodborne is unique with those, like, weird lore notes scattered throughout the world, which I think really works for Bloodborne. But, like, most of that story is via item descriptions and, like, reading, oh, hey, I picked up, like, this random bullet and it actually has a story assigned to it that i should probably read like were you aware of that coming from the other games or no not at all because so i i you know i guess i theoretically should have known Mm -hmm. because i did play a little bit of dark souls one and two but those games to me were so incomprehensible and intentionally so that i just didn't even bother ever looking at i mean i could barely understand my stats let alone an an item mentioning some like far-off legend right like it's not something i cared about going into bloodborne I also didn't really know that that's the, how the story really went. It wasn't really until um, the revelation when you first fight Rom the Vacuous Spider, where you realize like, oh, this something is like hidden in this world, right? Like beyond all the stuff that you've seen in Yarnum, there's this like otherworldly presence. Uh, and then I started reading some of the item descriptions and they mentioned that presence. So I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe... Maybe I can get more clues as to like what what is cost and what is all this like weird alien shit going on and you know and <laughs> and items you find early in the game like make reference to this kind of stuff and once I realized that that's when I started getting a little bit more into actually um, diving into the lore. Now I've, I've never been one to like you know I'm not going to write a novel about Bloodborne lore, but it's something that I consistently started consuming and definitely something I dove into with Dark Souls Three as well. What was it like um, going from Dark Souls, excuse me, going from Bloodborne into Dark Souls 3? Like, obviously, there's a change in mechanics, but I'm kind of the way (laughs) that um, Dark Souls 3 and Dark Souls 1 are related to each other. Like, I'm always fascinated with the people that play Dark Souls 3 first because, like, was, and we'll get into some specifics on these games a little bit later, but like, was it like playing through like a game that had you'd already played? Like, I know it's not the same game, but like, there's so many references back to Dark Souls 1. What was it like going backwards through that? Oh, you mean from Dark Souls 3 to Dark Souls 1 or from Bloodborne to Dark Souls 3? From 3 to 1. From 3 to 1, yeah. I mean, it's weird because to me, and again, I think the other issue was because I played them essentially within like months of each other. They all sort of flow into this like really bizarre, you know, mess of like words and ideas because Dark Souls 3 was great. I I love Dark Souls 3. It was, you know, one of my favorite games of uh, 2016. But going back to Dark Souls 1, was kind of bizarre because it felt more like a like a history field trip or something like a yeah like you were read like you were like going back in time almost <laughs> right like a yeah but like a I felt like a tourist in a way that probably most people didn't feel when they first played Dark Souls one because in my mind it's not like oh this is my story it was like oh this is I'm just you know I'm I'm watching a, a documentary about this chosen one that sort of set up the real story which is Dark Souls three right mm-hmm. and like. 
when I first encountered Andre, I was like, oh, shit, Andre, you don't know me yet, but you're pretty cool, right? Like, weird <laughs> stuff like that. Yet. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, when you find Andre in Dark Souls 3, like, if you've played Dark Souls 1 before, you were like, oh, hey, it's my friend from the first game. But exactly, going the opposite yeah. way has to be bizarre. Like, seeing this dude that doesn't know who you are, doesn't is friendly, but doesn't really care about you at all. It's just like, hey, upgrade your weapons. <laughs> yeah, it's totally weird. I mean, it feels like, um, I don't know if you ever played World of Warcraft back in the day. I haven't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in WoW, they had a they had a mission where you literally travel into the past and sort of mess around with all of these historical figures. That's really what Dark Souls One felt like to me. Oh, especially like with the DLC of, where you travel back in the past and mess with the historical figures. Yeah, I mean, right? yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and in my mind, like all again, all that stuff flows together, right? But like you know, having knowing a little bit about like where pyromancies, what pyromancies are in Dark Souls Three, right? Like there's references to you know Isolith tomes and stuff. And then going back to Isolith, I was like, whoa, this is cool. Look at all this fire and stuff. Like, no wonder there's all this weird, creepy lore going on about this type of magic, right? Was but it- I mean, I, 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 there's no part of, like, I hear stories on your podcast all the time where people are like, I saw the Mushroom Men in Dark Souls 3, and I knew in an instant that that's a reference <laughs> to, uh, this is clearly the, you know, the forest from Dark Souls 1, and, I, you know, all of that stuff went way over my head. It's not until I go to Dark Souls 1 and then it's all of the opposite. Like, oh, shit, it's a mushroom dude. Okay. so I I know where these dudes die, like, in 20 years. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, exactly. What, um, like... What was it like from just from a mechanical standpoint? Because uh, like I kind of feel like Bloodborne and Dark Souls Three play the best out of any of the games in the series. And, yeah, I agree. Like pro- they get progressively worse as you go backwards in time. <laughs> like despite Dark Souls, like Dark Souls One is probably my favorite game of all time. Like up there with Super yeah. Mario World and A Link to the Past and all that. Like it's up there, and I don't think it plays bad. But like there's so many obvious like quality of life improvements and just like animation yeah. improvements. Was it was it weird? Oh was God. it awkward to you? Oh, for sure. I mean, the biggest one was the uh, not being able to fast travel between bonfires. Like, oh my god, it blows my mind that when I finally got the Lord Vessel, I was like, oh, fucking finally this game becomes, you know, at least a bit playable. And I know a lot of people talk about Dark Souls 1 because uh, you know, the world is a cohesive whole, and I really appreciate it for that, but Mm -hmm. going from the more modern games, that was one of the big, like, ugh, okay, I gotta do this now, like, play this old game. Um, but you know, honestly, like I think it be going, jumping between all of them always feels a little weird to me. And, you know, moving from Bloodborne, which is all about like fast paced action, mm-hmm. you know, reclaiming your health by being persistent with your attacks. Um, it ingrains in you a lot of these like bad lessons, right? Like going from Bloodborne to Dark Souls three, cause I'd never played the first two Dark Souls. I didn't really know what a shield was for you know like it didn't make like okay i have a shield now and, and what do i do with it yeah and, and like stupidly of me as well like going into dark souls 3 i remember thinking oh everyone said everyone said a sorcery build was op so maybe i'll go a sorcery build as my first build in dark souls 3 oh, no. which was a huge mistake <laughs> it was that's, awful that's a bad i did that too and it was a bad plan yeah that was a bad I was not, that was not fun for a while. Um, and so, you know, moving between any of those and then going back to Dark Souls 1, it was weird, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't something that didn't feel familiar to me just because I know that, you know, how you move, how you behave changes between those two games and it changes between your builds even to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as soon as I know, oh, I don't have, I can't just roll around like a crazy person like you can in Dark Souls 3. Uh, all my stamina costs are way higher for that kind of stuff. You sort of have to make an adjustment, right? And I think by this point, 
I'd already sort of realized that I was in love, you know? So (laughs) the game wanted me to approach it on its terms. So I sort of just accepted it. Like, okay, this is going to be different and sort of moved on from there. So it was something that it wasn't frustrating, right? It didn't feel like I was necessarily playing an old game. It just felt like I was playing a Dark Souls game. It just was on different terms. Sure. The uh, the bonfire warping thing is just something that still <clears throat> boggles my mind that we that we did, like we put up with back in the day. Like, oh yeah, it just I mean, like even because even before the DLC, like uh, they they expanded the amount of bonfires you could warp to on the DLC. Like used to, if you wanted to go say put a summon side down for Seath, you would have to get some teleport to like the cage bonfire in the library thing, and then walk all the way down to oh, the, yeah. to the ledge. Like it was insanity. Oh, and it's that, absurd, yeah. Yeah, and when the DLC came out and literally every bonfire in the DLC you could warp to, I was like, okay, well, now I oh, see that- where they're going to go for this. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> this makes much nice. more sense. <laughs> well, but it's bizarre because even going into, like, Dark Souls 2, like, Dark Souls 2 has bonfire warping, which is great, but then the menu for warping to bonfires is the most, like, in, like little pictures. I'm, like, squinting at my TV trying to figure out whether or not I need to be at this location or not, right? Like, there's all these, like, little quality of life things that just are different between all of the games and sort of slowly improve. And it's, you know, Dark Souls 2 very specifically does this. Um, it's still unique among this, the whole series of this weird quality, quality of life stuff, like the um, bonfire aesthetics, letting you kind of control your own difficulty and resurrect bosses yeah. and things like that for you. Like all of that stuff is really good. Life gems being, a, you know, just around, just being a thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and all yeah. kinds of different like, healing items. Like I, I kind of missed that from Dark Souls 2. I was really sad. Excuse me. I was really sad when they kind of, left those behind in dark souls three i can understand it in bloodborne because it didn't as much as i want to be able to play blood jams on the ground didn't make sense yeah no not at all (laughs) (laughs) although that game could have really benefited with just like blood vials just laying all over the ground to be honest that's true yeah uh but like i and as much as i want to like resurrect a boss in bloodborne and fight it all the time because i would literally fight lady maria and (laughs) orphan of cause like every day if i could do that um yeah yeah, like I, I just don't know that, that that would work. But it was sad when Dark Souls three didn't have that stuff. Like I was, I was kind of bummed. Yeah, for sure. But again, like you know, for me going into it, I, I didn't have that. There's like Dark Souls three wasn't missing anything for me because I just didn't know what it yeah. was that I would be missing. You know, it, that's that's always a fascinating perspective for me because uh, among most like people who have been playing those games for a long time, I'm not. I'm really trying not to sound like, "Ooh, I saw Nirvana at the." so-and-so when they before they were cool like i'm not trying to be hipster dark souls fan at all but, <laughs> but yeah. like most no, of the sure. most of the people who've been playing that series for a long time looked at the game and are like uh it's really solid mechanically but it's missing these things so being able to see that with the like without any expectations or like carrying your own baggage into it like most of us did yeah. like it would be is just really refreshing well you've be, talked to really more fun. people about dark souls than probably anyone else on the face of the earth like why do you think that most people <laughs> do you think most people their favorite dark souls is their first dark souls almost always yeah with with very few exceptions uh it's it's usually that um it's and not because it's like that way it's that way for me like i was very similar to you when i played demon souls for the first time uh just like you mm-hmm. when you played dark souls for the first time it just wasn't like i wasn't like in that frame of mind to chat to you know go through that challenge. So right. backing away from it and then getting into dark souls and dark souls one being absolutely my favorite souls games, uh, souls game. Now, like as much as I hate making those like listicle things, sometimes they're fun to do. Uh, totally. Yeah. I, I yeah. I, and most people I talk to, it's usually their first one. Like I know people who are absolutely adore demon souls. And as much as I love demon souls, like that game has significant issues, especially compared to the modern games. So, right. Yeah. And you know, bloodborne is definitely my favorite. So I'm, I'm in line with everybody else. 
So uh, a question I always like to ask on this podcast when it comes to Bloodborne is uh, just a simple yes or no. Chalice Dungeons? <laughs> uh, no, sorry. Yeah. That's okay. It's okay. Everyone has a wrong you know, opinion. I, it's fine. I, I tried. like so Because I replayed... I, uh, I bought a PS4 Pro, and because I believe in the gospel of Soulsborne, I gave my old PS4 to a friend specifically to play Bloodborne with him. And we got together to play Bloodborne, and this is the most recent playthrough we did like a month ago. Uh, and we tried the dungeons, but there's just so much grinding for material to get to the next dungeon. I yeah, just couldn't bummer. deal with it. It's, um, I, they have so much promise, and if you can like, I don't know. Like if it, I, I get into them a lot, like I, I really liked playing through what I, oh, like, yeah. all the stuff I played it, but man, like the, they're so held back with this weird, like we're going to withhold so many resources from you. You have to grind for all this stuff. And I hate grinding in video games. Like it's just the dumbest yeah. thing in the world. And it's kind of sad that they did that. For but sure. Okay. And I would love, okay. to, I would love to fight those bosses. Like it's just, a, it bums me out that in order to like fight Yarm, I have to go, you know, farm mats essentially. Yeah, if you if you don't like I the first time I did it I I literally just used the guide which has maps to get to all of the treasure rooms which give you enough materials oh, really? to get to the next one. Yeah, but like literally like Smart. looking at the map and like I don't know if you've ever seen the maps of the Chalice Dungeons, but they are almost unreadable. <laughs> you can't figure out where you are. Like I'm looking at this thing going like what? Otherwise the guide is is amazing for that stuff, but like the maps right. themselves are just because you've you've been in the chalice dungeons, you know how like wrap around one another. And, oh yeah, you know, well, and then there's like multiple floors laid on top of each other, and stuff. oh yeah, <laughs> none of it makes any sense. It's really really dumb. <clears throat> <laughs> what uh, like have you didn't mention Demon Souls? Have you gone back to the PS3 days yet? So Demon Souls is the one that I haven't played yet, and only because I don't have PS3 anymore. Yeah, it should, uh, man, have why a... have they not brought that game to PS4? Oh yeah, I would play that in a heartbeat. Um, I'm I'm probably at a point where I should just shut up and borrow a PS3 and play it. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no no Demon Souls yet. That will round out my that will round up my catechism into the Soulsborne universe. I think <laughs> at that point I'll just like reach enlightenment and become like a floating ether that just repeats the word Soulsborne over and over again. <laughs> Please like and subscribe. Soulsborne, Soulsborne, yeah. Soulsborne. <laughs> Soulsborne, Soulsborne. <laughs> what um, like do you do you participate in any of the online stuff? Like I know going to the older games where, and depending on what platform you are, they may not be very populated. But uh, playing Dark Souls three around release, like did you summon people? Did you invade? Did you get into that aspect of the game? Yeah. So in in Bloodborne, not so much. In Dark Souls three, I did uh, quite a bit. I discovered. Uh, something called fight clubs yes and mm-hmm. fell in love uh, i started doing a lot of fight clubs at first i was just like hosting them which god that's still some of my like favorite dark souls stuff like hosting hosting those events i felt like was such a celebratory moment because you're bringing in all of these random people and half of them are like hardcore tryhards. They just want to like murder people with their, you know, raw store sword or whatever. And then you've got another half who are like dressed up like Ornstein and Smoke and, and random characters that want to role play. And everyone is like fighting and respecting each other. And you, there's all this like honor on display. And then someone comes up and tries to ruin it and everybody gangs up and it's chaotic. <laughs> and like, they're, you know, to have these random strangers who ostensibly are there to fight each other, like come to my aid to defend me against someone trying to backstab me to end the fight club. Like it was just so exhilarating. And, you know, inevitably as a fight club host and, you know, at this point I was, I was, I'm not a good PVP by any means. Right. But 
I knew that there's a certain obligation. Like once all of the people I've brought into the world kill each other and there's one person left, I have to fight them now, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know I'm going to die. But that moment where it's like, I've watched you best, four of my greatest warriors. Now you can fight me, right? It was such this like role play moment, you know? And I die. Like, I don't think I've won a single one of those those fights, but it felt so good doing it, right? Um, that was so that was always the thing about PvP. It's like people would ask me, like, how, oh, do yeah. you, how do you get into PvP? Like, how do you get good at it? And I'm like, well, you, I don't think that you ever do. You just have to like it enough to enjoy losing all the time. Yeah. And then eventually you I, win sometimes. That's it. You know, a while ago, I, I wrote an article about, about invading. Because after Fight Clubs, I started to invade more. And mm-hmm. it was never something I wanted to do because I knew how horrible it was to be invaded in Bloodborne uh, with those damn bell-ringing women. Oh, and so... Yeah. Oh, God. So going into Dark Souls 3, I was like, okay, well, I don't know how I feel about this. And then after the fight clubs, I sort of realized I could have fun even if I died. Um, And so once I started invading, to me, it felt more like, you know, my job when invading was not to win. My my goal is not to just like get my tongues and bounce, right? My goal was to make the game more exciting by scaring the shit out of the person who's hosting me, right? And so I would like I would I'd run all the time, I'd be one of those like cowardly guys who would hide around, I would like mess with the environment, and sometimes I would like go after the host and die in like a crazy blaze of glory and you know, half the time it would be like a gang squad or whatever. But to me, like when when I had those moments and I know that I freaked the host out. And then the host killed me and they had maybe like a quarter of their health. They felt great, which made me feel great because I was like, oh, I just made someone have that experience that is so rare to have where they actually defeat the invader, right? Mm Because I think normally invaders are like, oh, I've put in all this. They're like PvP veterans or something, right? They've got all these battle scars. I presume they have battle scars from Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 2, right? Like you invade people all the time, Jeremy, right? You're probably like... What was your win rate at this point? Like 60, 70%? Not, not even close, man. <laughs> All of my PvP stuff was using like some weird garbage gimmick builds. Like 90% of it was anyway. Like my Karmic Justice thing, like to make those like three, or I think I have five YouTube videos for Karmic Justice. Yeah. So it took hundreds of hours to get like seven wins. Like it's that kind of thing. <laughs> it was like any, any YouTube videos where like people just show nothing but wins and wins and wins and wins is built on like hours and hours of losers and losers and losers. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, but it's, but you're right. Like that creating that chaos is the thing that, specifically with dark souls one and with three tried this with the purple phantoms of like yeah will they won't they are they a good guy are they a bad guy kind of thing they will uh, that's that's the problem with the purple <laughs> they always guys. will <laughs> they always will <laughs> but that's creating that chaos is what like really drew me into the online component of dark souls one like just being able to get into someone's world and just mess with them like not even totally not even like necessarily kill them straight out but just mess with them and i've, I've talked oh, about yeah. this before but like something about that pvp just really brought out like the worst aspects of my character (laughs) of just wanting to be the biggest asshole in the universe and succeeding at it and feeling pretty good about that like that's horrible yeah there was a moment uh, playing dark souls 3 with the elevator before aldrich when when i saw my sorcerer build and i would just pull the lever to bring the thing down every time they were trying to go up and then i would just cast the whatever hidden object or whatever to like transform into a statue and just rinse, wash, repeat. And I don't know why this guy didn't just get off the elevator, but I wasted his time easily for like 20 minutes. He walked right past me like four or five times. It was great. It was amazing. I died eventually, but man, like knowing that I was just pissing him off filled me with so much joy. 
And it's, it's those like weird moments of just like causing just a little bit of suffering. And the exact opposite exists when like laying down your like summit sign and helping somebody kill a boss or clear an area yeah. or, or whatever, like that it's the exact opposite feeling. And it's just as good. Like it hits the same exact like endorphins in my brain. Like, cause I, I can, I can totally. do both all the time. Yeah, for sure. I love yeah, the co-op is great. That's something I've always done in all of the Souls games. And I was doing when I was playing Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 2 as well, uh, whenever I could. Longer wait times, but for sure. I mean, there's just something about, um, you know, especially when you do it with two. Like, I, I don't really like summoning more than one ally. Mm-hmm. But with two, it's such a different experience in a boss fight. There's all this, like, juggling of, of aggro um, and moments where, like, you die, but you can see as you're dying the host getting the kill, you know, mm-hmm. and just, I'm not getting any rewards, right? Like you don't get, you don't get your reward if you die during the boss fight, but knowing that you were there for them when they needed you and potentially <laughs> they did it or even, yeah. you know, or even conversely, there are those times I'm sure you've had where you try to help someone like five or six times and they're constantly dying. And then the seventh time they do it. Right. And to know that you were there for them the entire time, like you didn't abandon you, you didn't abandon them. You were persistent. You worked with this guy. You have no idea who they are. Like, you've never talked to them in real life. You might see them passing on the street. You might never see them ever in real life. But, like, for a good solid hour and a half, you guys hit your head against a boss fight, and you finally figured it out. And that's such a good feeling. It was, um like, doing the, like, just those evenings of where you someone summons you and then they die and then they send you that message of like again please <laughs> like yeah, yeah. just like they're <laughs> they're in they're in such a rock and a hard place where like I found myself dropping people humanity so they could summon me again like just in case you died and like you're running low like here's like five humanity so we can do five more times or whatever oh yeah. for sure yeah Dark Souls started, two um, go ahead go ahead no no go for it um, Dark Souls two has two of my favorite co-op summon fights ever mm-hmm. um one is in the dlc where you can literally bring like a whole crew of dudes in with you like you can bring like eight guys into that um which Ilian guy Lois. which side is that Ilian oh Lois. Ilian Lois. Yeah, yeah. yeah the uh i can't re- can never remember the name of the boss fight uh we were talking about this right before the show no no idea what the name of the boss fight is um, <laughs> but uh like you can there's knights and then you can summon and scholar you can summon three actual players with you so you have like a oh is this the one with, where you like where you drop a really yep. long way. Mm-hmm. God, that's so badass with that all those so knights. Badass. Love yeah, that fight. It's so yeah. much fun. And and yeah, it's just so, so great. And then um early in Dark Souls 2 when you fight the pursuer, not when he's like a little mini boss, but when he's actually a, like a, you know, health bar at the bottom of the screen boss. Um yeah. and they've got those uh crossbow things i forget what they're called set up so that you can like oh, damage like, uh, ballistas the ballistas and but you can actually hit your host with the ballistas <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's those two things are like some of my favorite excuse me <clears throat> things to do in dark souls 2 yeah whole lot of trolling in that boss fight i imagine and tell me about your feelings on dark souls 2 i'm curious with the uh, because for for whatever reason and I almost hate to bring it up, except you kind of have to when you're talking about souls, but because mm-hmm. Dark Souls Two is such a divisive game among the community. Like, where 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 do you fall into it after playing through all of them now? You know, it's funny because when I when I first started getting into Dark Souls Two, and this is literally like two days after I beat Dark Souls One, uh, I was like, I don't see what everyone was complaining about. This game is great. Like, and I think for the most part, it really is. I think that the the hate on that game is probably overblown and it sounds like most of your guests probably agree like i Mm -hmm. I think there's probably people think that the game is worse than it actually is and i was really enjoying it i got up pretty far before i really started like hitting my head and getting frustrated um with the uh fume night was really really tough um and then there's a 
I forget I forget the boss name, but he's one of the, he's the the guy with fire in his gut and he's blue and you have to do this insane gauntlet to get to him <laughs> the it's the like, it's, it's the alternate sm- uh, smelter demon yeah yeah and, and yeah. i was oh my god that smelter demon drove me insane and uh, you know i'm playing dark souls 2 and there's very few opportunities to bring in hosts so i have to do this all on my own and there's like two summons and eventually like that was so frustrating and i started trying to figure out like okay i'm pretty late in the game i'm pretty high level Everything's still really difficult. I don't know where to go. I'm getting really confused. I think eventually when, when you have to go back and because I was trying to do this blind and not look things up. Mm-hmm. But when you have to go find the like memories of yeah. like giants mm-hmm. and I didn't know where I needed to go. And I was like, OK, I think this game is probably too frustrating than it needs to be. <laughs> uh, and I soured on it a little bit. I still really like it. I still think Dark Souls 2 is really good. But, you know, it's the bottom of my list of Soulsborne games. Those uh those those optional paths in the DLC areas in Dark Souls Two are some of the most like bullshit encountered. Like it feels like it was built by a marketing team more than a uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's like Namco yeah. marketing was like no 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 make four of these guys and then put some casters behind them. Like and yeah. that and, and not to hate on marketing people like whatever like I don't care but like I, I'm a marketing person so yeah I, I, I remembered that about halfway into my sentence <laughs> <laughs> that was what I was I'm kidding to. that's totally fine. <laughs> I'm in sales. Like I'm basically a marketing person. So don't cool. Perfect. Um, but like they're just like, and they were built for co-op, right? Like when the uh, when they were originally released, those were the areas. Oh, is that true? Yeah, they were. Oh, that explains it. When the DLC was released, those were the areas that people that didn't buy the DLC could go and get summoned um, and help people that did buy the DLC. Oh, so you could well, go that's through nice. Those areas. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense now that everyone gets the DLC with Scholar and everyone just has it. But yeah, those are all like built for three or four people to take on at one time. So uh, yeah, that makes sense. Doesn't make them any less bullshit, especially with the, uh, like the rewards that you get. Like it's like that one is just like the dad mask from dark souls one. That's it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and again, like, I don't care. Like it's, it's not, I, there's not some nostalgic moment for me when I got that. Right. So no. <laughs> it, it felt like a troll. Like it felt like a classic, like from software, like, haha, gotcha. Like, how do you feel about yeah, that? Totally. <laughs> But I mean, on the other hand, like some of the other optional bosses, like the ancient dragon and stuff was pretty cool. Some of the environments in Dark Souls 2 are really gorgeous. Yeah, I, I, as much as people hate on it, I really like the Shrine of Romana, like the 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 weird atmosphere and like the, the mm. ambient like singing. And then the Demon of Song is one of like my favorite boss designs across all of the games. Like, I don't know why, yeah. but that something about that frog, like pulling its like frog face out, like just really works for me. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It, it felt a little, I don't know. It felt a little out of place to me. It felt a little bit like, uh, like... Like someone had said, "Hey, like eight-year-old child, draw a boss," <laughs> and, the bo- and the kid's like, "It's okay. like a dead guy inside of a frog." And you're like, "Okay, cool." <laughs> no, that's a good fight, though. I, I enjoyed that. What's your like? Do you have like a like a like a favorite NPC or a favorite boss fight? Like, do you have a moment that like kind of sums up the Souls experience for you when you think when you think back oh, on it? Gosh, all of, I mean, there's so many moments. Yeah, um, I mean, boss fights definitely. Definitely Father Gaskion just for how long I was there, like mm-hmm. time spent. Um, I really enjoy Lady Maria and the DLC. God, the Bloodborne DLC is amazing. Um, the the Bloodborne DLC may be my favorite thing to talk about in the world. Like the way that you yeah. progress through it, the way that it tells the yeah. story, the bosses, the enemies. So, like It's so full so of like, surprises. I played Bloodborne when it originally came out, and I bought the DLC, and I didn't play it then. I only played the Bloodborne DLC this year when I was replaying Bloodborne a second time. 
Um, and it was like stunning. It was like just firmed in my mind. Like this is, this is the pinnacle of the souls born for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there, when you first enter the space where it's sort of like a crazy twisted bastardized version of Yarnum, um, and it's all like in on itself. And so you see recognizable places, uh, like one of my favorite moments, right? So I was playing this co-op with my friend and we're going through that area. Um, it's shortly before the like sort of river of blood in the bloodborne dlc and there they recreate the room that is one of the first rooms you spend a lot of time in um in bloodborne which is the one the darkened room on your way to father gaskion and if i don't know if you can remember this i i remember it intimately in my head because it's pretty recently but you enter the room there's one crazy wolf guy hiding behind the pillar it's dark this is in the original Mm -hmm. and there's a gunner in a wheelchair right and this is right before like the two big guys as well on your way on the sort of the path towards Father Gaskion and um, okay. Central Yarnum. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that real yeah. dark room that you, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know exactly yes. what you're talking about. And so about. like, mm-hmm. and, you know, and this is, this definitely encapsulates the way I think that FromSoft is so aware of like how players play, right? Because you are in that room quite a bit when you're first playing Bloodborne, right? Like it's your, it's your first baby steps into, or at least for me, into the Soulsborne series. Um, it's one of the best places to farm for bullets because every time you kill the guy in the wheelchair, you get like five bullets, right? Um, and when you go and kill that guy, inevitably you do a charged attack, right? You're so used to going in, doing your charged attack and killing that guy, right? Mm-hmm. And then they recreate that room in the DLC. And the moment I entered that room, I was like, oh, I know exactly where I'm at because I've spent so much time there. And I know that there's going to be a guy here. And lo and behold, there's a guy there. And I kill the guy, right? Me and my friend are in that room. And then I see the guy in the wheelchair. And I go, I know this guy. I'm going to do a charged attack. And my friend at the same time uh, sees something on the ground and runs over and get it, gets it. And he bends down to go pick up the item. And I do the charged attack and it goes right through him. And I'm like, oh, weird. And then I go, what's that ticking noise? And then right as I say, yeah, right as I say, like, oh, my God, it's a bomb. It explodes, right? It, like, sends me and, like, my, my ally flying. And it was, like, it's like a scene out of Die Hard or something, right? Like, those moments where you hear the ticking time bomb, the two heroes, like, make eye contact. One of them says, it's a bomb. And then it explodes, right? Like, that's what you see in, like, a crazy action movie trailer. And it happened. And it happened because... It happened because the team knew, they knew that I know what that room is. And they know that what I'm used to doing in that room is by going in, killing the guy, charge attack on the dumb dude in the wheelchair, get my shit and get out, right? And they upset that by putting something in that, as far as I understand, like does not exist anywhere else in Bloodborne, <laughs> right? Like a, a, a ticking time bomb, right? It's crazy. You can get those as items, but I don't know that anybody yeah. ever actually uses them. Like they seem like one of those items that just never gets used in any of the souls. No, games. I mean like, I, they're kind of useless. Yeah, yeah. like but, there, and there's, there's never a moment where they're just waiting either, right? Like there's never no, just a no, package, a satchel. It, it's just that one room that they that they get you in, and it's one of the. It's like because I consider the Souls games pretty funny at times. Oh and yeah, for it's, sure. It's it's just it's one of those like mo- it's one of those things you can't really explain because. I mean, you just did a very good job explaining it, but like trying to explain to somebody else how Dark Souls is funny, it seems like a, just a losing proposition because <laughs> you're like, no, no, yeah, no, they yeah, killed yeah. me, but they killed me in this really hilarious way. <laughs> like it doesn't. Oh, yeah. 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 
I mean, I definitely, you know, I, I started doing the, like, every time I die in a funny way, just hashtag Dark Souls, you know, mm-hmm. like, just saying it out loud, because that's, <laughs> that's what it is. And if, if, if I went up to you and was like, oh, man, I had a Dark Souls moment last night, you'd, you could probably make a pretty good guess of what that moment was like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, what killed you? How did you die? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching, um, there's a guy that's been on this show. He's on the Twin Humanities podcast, Patty Stardust, and um, he's doing, mm-hmm. like, a One Bro series of YouTube videos where he's doing a Soul Level 1 run. And, uh, oh, that's in, too much. It's fun. It's, 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 if you've never done it, it's fun. Uh, but it's, that will it's, be my next challenge run, I guess, maybe. Uh, and he's, he's on the, the archers trying to get past, uh, the archers in, in Orlando and Dark Souls one. And just Ugh. like he's, he's doing that thing where, like, and I, I, I like, I'm watching it. I'm on like backseat driving. I'm like, Patty, you're about to get hit by an arrow. You got to move. You're about <laughs> to get hit by an arrow. You can't hear it. You're talking. You can't hear it. The arrow and it boom gets him and then just knocks him immediately off. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I, I, when I encountered those guys in Dark Souls 1, I knew them already. And I was like, hey, I know you, <laughs> asshole. Like, I know what you're trying to do. I, I'm better than this. You're not going to get me. And then, of course, you know, they knocked me right off the ledge. So those damn archers. You, you mentioned damn uh, archers. challenge runs a couple of times. So can you what kind of challenge runs have you done so far? Oh, I mean, they're not really like you have people doing like level one challenge runs, and that's crazy. Um, no, I I read um, Jason Killingsworth Dark Souls book. Yeah. I don't know if you've read that yet. Yeah, um, and they talked <laughs> I mean, about like, like a bunch of different. I'm sure yeah. you have. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's so uh, they talked they talked about all these other challenge runs, and one of the ones that first picked my interest was like, oh, a pacifist run. So I'm gonna play a game where uh, I just don't kill anybody, and so I created a character called Pacifist Pete. And I spend most of the game uh, going into other people's worlds during boss fights and just healing them. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's great. People mostly get it, I think. Um, there's a few times where I've been invaded while playing as Pacifist Pete. And it's really cool because um, if I beg, like I'll, I'll do the beg gesture and I throw down the I'm sorry stone. <laughs> uh, and overwhelmingly, I think maybe one person has killed me. Everyone else has just left piles of ember and then crystal, uh, crystal out, which is pretty cool as the pacifist. The the Dark Souls community is so weird about that stuff. When they like, there's this weird unspoken rules of communication and yeah. like back and forth. Like there have been it. many times where I would invade somebody and see them and be like, I like your style. Here's a present. <laughs> or <laughs> or yeah. sometimes you're just having a bad night and like you invade somebody and you're like, I don't like the fact that you're using that weapon. Now you die. <laughs> like, it's yeah, like exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or I mean, the, I mean, you hear stories like the fashion police in Dark Souls 3 and stuff, right? That are just, they're so cool. I love that kind of stuff. Um, so anyway, yeah, so the pacifist run, and then I also am about midway through doing a, I don't know what you normally call it. I call it a finder's keepers run where you just use whatever weapon you find immediately. Mm. So, uh, if I find a broken straight sword, I have to immediately switch to a broken straight sword. Um, that one is much more challenging than the pacifist run. (laughs) I I can imagine. Are you, um, like, I wouldn't be able to help myself from cheating, especially if it was, like, on a game that, one of the games that I'm super familiar with. I'd be like, oh, no, no, no. I know what that is over there. I'm not going to pick that up. I don't want to use that right now. Yeah, no, I haven't <laughs> Or do you done have to pick yet. up and every item? Like, or is that... I, I, I that have rule? to pick it up. Okay, yeah, good. I'm making the rule that I have to pick up every item. It's especially difficult. Like, in fact, I just, um, I just was fighting the uh, Demon King, and you fight, what is his name? Night Slayer Sorg, I think his name is. Yeah. He's got, mm-hmm. like, a huge sword. Like a huge altar grade sword. 
and it was like requires strength 50 and I'm building like a quality build. And I was like, this is fucking garbage. And it was just all absolutely awful. So the one, the one respite I've given myself is I'm letting myself transpose boss souls into weapons to make those switches. Okay. Cause the one like break. Yeah. So basically I'm holding onto boss souls desperately until the, I absolutely need them. And then I'll switch it out. But even then, like I'm still using a garbage sword and Titanite scale is hard to come by. So you know, I don't end up upgrading those a great deal. Knight Sorg is one of those weird Dark Souls one references that I, I, I still to this day don't understand. Like, it's very clearly a reference to uh, Taurus from Dark Souls one. He's, he's, oh, he's, really? he's, he's a summon. Yeah, because he's wearing like Taurus's armor. I'm saying Taurus. That's not right. See? Tarkus. Tarkus. Excuse me. Oh, um, yeah. He's, he's like wearing the armor and Tarkus wears like a like he uses a big giant fuck off sore too like tarkas is kind of a oh, dude yeah. yeah so it's so weird that they just put like this mean guy <laughs> like, yeah dude, that invades you and, and is kind of a dickhead to you in the game <laughs> yeah with just the and this is like one of the first times i think you encounter an invader that just has like stupid poise like he just poises into your attacks and just wallops you with a sword the size of a mountain yeah he's he's quite fun uh I, <laughs> I love that dude killed me so many times until I realized I could just like bait him into the lava and he would just go walk into lava. Oh, he does is that not care. nice? Yeah. yeah. I just kept getting backstabs. That was the sort of my method. I've gotten pretty, the good thing about this challenge run, by the way, uh, if, if anyone listening wants to try it out, it's a really cool way to practice different movesets and getting really good at backstabs because it's one of the only ways you do damage with garbage weapons that like level two. <laughs> Are you putting the uh, challenge runs up on YouTube or anywhere? No, 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 no. That's just for my own personal pleasure. I guess I could. I haven't really done any uh, any capture for Dark Souls. Do you do you uh, like get into the online community of Dark Souls at all? Like, do you like there? Pretty much every forum has like a specific thread, and you know, obviously YouTube is just like crazy full of Dark Souls lorester, yeah, PvP gimmick stuff. Do you get into all that? Like, do you look around for that stuff? I have, yeah. So after Bloodborne, I read uh, what's his name, Redgrave. It's yeah. got like a hundred and forty page like yeah. lore. It keeps getting thing. seems like it keeps getting bigger every time I look for it. Because every time I it's, sit down, I'm like, I need to go yeah. find a new copy. And he's added twenty pages to. It. Well, like, I reread it recently because uh, he incorporated DLC stuff, and I wanted mm-hmm. to stay spoiler free, so I hadn't read it since the original Bloodborne. Uh, and then after after I played Dark Souls three, it's even now it's like a daily ritual of mine to go online and just read the subreddit and like watch people do funny videos and stuff. Um, so a whole lot of like watching people do weird shit, watching all of the Vani videos, uh, you know, watching, reading people's crazy lore ideas about, you know, who's related to who and, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's great. Fan Fun art. Stuff. Yeah. We talked about, I think on Twitter, I was like, yeah, I really want to get a Dark Souls tattoo. So I spent some time looking at like fan art or like what that could be like and stuff. So. Sure. I know, I know, and this is probably just a testament of how many Dark Souls nerds I know, but I think I know like multiple people with a Dark Sign tattoo at this point. Like, yeah, people. yeah, which seems like That's like great. the killer Dark Souls like tattoo thing. But who's going to see it, right? Because it's going to be on your shoulder. Exactly. Like it literally, like the like one tattoo I have, and I'm not a, like a huge tattoo person or anything, but like it's on my, in the middle of my back. Like I don't really care what it is. I don't even barely remember what it looks like is anymore. It I never see is it. it like a, is it like a dragon? Yeah, it's basically the Nameless King, except it's on a van, <laughs> and the van is tattooed on my back. <laughs> that would be sick. Are you kidding me? That would be amazing. <laughs> and when I flex, the the van jumps. <laughs> that that would be sweet, yeah. I'm just kidding. It's not. I don't have that tattoo. It's Lord Gwen. It's Lord Gwen, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, 
George, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, I only have yeah. like, one last question for you. Uh, and that's usually the question I ask at the end of all of these shows is like, we're in kind of a weird time with being, being fans of from software because they've kind of announced stuff. <clears throat> they, we have a little bit more DLC coming for dark souls three, but then after that, it's kind of an unknown of what they're going to do. If they're going to continue with this weird combat, like for your own personal taste, where would you like to see this company go? Like, do you want to see more souls games? Do you want to see dark souls four bloodborne two? What do, what, what yeah. do you want to see? You know, I've given this thought, this question a lot of thought because you ask, this is the question you ask everybody in your podcast. Um, I think the correct answer is the one that most people have given, which is like whatever makes them happy, right? Because mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, like I genuinely think people who play Dark Souls become better people. Like I think there's something magical here about the way that, uh, you know, as you're experiencing the world, the way that uh, you get better without even necessarily knowing it, but you can sort of see yourself improve right? Like there's so many life lessons you can take from playing these games in terms of what, you know, what you're capable of and and the way that you're able to like, we talked about, you know, invading people um, and playing a certain role in their lives, right? Like I think that you could really look into these games and find things about like empathy and being human and all that kind of stuff, which is great. And as long as they can somehow capture that, doesn't matter. Then the other part of me though says, uh, I think that having a modern setting would be really cool um there's artwork there's this artwork line by this artist called robert ashley it's called tomorrow kings and tomorrow queens and it's um it's mostly an action figure line actually but it's sort of set in this like futuristic tokyo where there's all these like young hip cool like punk rock kids but they also have like big ass swords and stuff i think a setting like that would be really cool because uh from software is borrowed a lot from medieval literature and victorian literature but you know they have a lot of roots to Japanese literature, I'm sure as well, and Japanese mythos, and I think that's a really cool place to tap. Um, you know, I went to Japan this past year, and it was such a different cultural experience, and I think I would really love to see what they do with that space. Did you get a chance to meet Miyazaki over in, in Japan? God, I wish. Are you no, kidding me? No, yeah, I, I have him. I know, and I had him tattooed on my back. I just walked on with the shirt off all day. No one said a thing. I don't know. I, just the super hunky version of just a Miyazaki. big old hunky version of Miyazaki. <laughs> Just driving that van with a nameless king on it. That'd be the perfect yeah, thing. That would be amazing. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. I very much appreciate you spending the time with me. Can you uh, tell everybody where they can find you on the internet should they choose to do so? Yeah. Um, I also do I do a game podcast over at experiencepoints.net. Uh, I'm taking a break from games writing, but I have some old over on potmatters.com. And you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash J-A-L-B-O-R. That's J-A-L-B-O-R. My name. Cool. And it's spell correct. Obviously, autocorrect tried to change it when I typed that out. <sighs> Don't listen it. to Siri. Seriously, right? <clears throat> I can't say the word seriously too loud anymore because Siri will actually turn on on my phone and it's really frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. There's a, there's a blog online that is just people named Alexa who complain <laughs> about Alexa. That's pretty great. I didn't think about that, but that's got to be super annoying. Yeah, really obnoxious. <laughs> what, one thing you can say about Siri is there's probably very few people in the world named Siri, but when Siri came out, like I don't know about now, like these probably changed birth rates, but yeah, definitely. I don't know, man. I think there's probably more. You people think so? People name their kids like, oh, I mean, like the number of people who name their kids like Daenerys this year is like <laughs> astronomical. Of Daenerys, Katniss, Sherlock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, that's that's not good. Don't name your children after video games. Like, just don't Please. do that. Yeah, or, well, or like, I, I mean, don't know. I mean, Gwen's pretty cool. I guess Yoshi Greer has a good ring to it. Like, Yoshi. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Perfect. My dad named me Princess Peach. <laughs> I was in um in line at 
Burger King. This was like a year or two ago. And uh, the lady that was like handing me the food through the window, her name was Gwendolyn. And it no was fucking way. Way, dude. Like, way. Not, like, I almost said something, but then I was like, this, this chick working at Burger King is definitely not going to know who the fuck Gwendolyn You don't know is. that, though, dude. You don't know that. Like, I don't. Maybe, that's, if you had said own... something, she would have comped you like a free burger. <laughs> She's like, this guy gets it. This, this guy, guy gets, gets it. it. He's a soul's head. I know this dude. Really, you should have been like, can I talk to your father somehow? Yeah. Like, what's your dad doing? Like, what's, where'd this name come from? Um, it was exactly. spelled, like, in a really bizarre way, though. Like, it wasn't anywhere close to the Dark Souls spelling. Like, it, oh, was, really? it, was, it was out the box kind of spelling. So, My niece's name is Akira, which is, like, nice. yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah. That's so. good. Well, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find this podcast and all of its various social links at www.dontgiveupskeleton.com. Um, we have Instagram previews up, so go check those out on Instagram slash don't give up skellies. It's like 30 or 40 seconds worth of podcast material. So if you've got like a super short attention span like me, it's a great place to go for it. Thank you for listening. If you have time, please leave us an iTunes review. It really, really helps us grow the show. And remember, don't give up, Skeleton. Yeah, don't give up. Don't give up. (laughs) This was a lot of fun, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, of course. Yeah, always a pleasure. I mean, I feel like at this point I needed to start pulling people outside of my life to talk to about Dark Souls because everyone else is sick of it.